Welcome to This is the Bad Place, a podcast about the NBC TV show The Good Place and the journey of two ex-evangelicals leaving white evangelicalism. Welcome to This is the Bad Place podcast, where we talk about The Good Place. I still can't get over the fact that we are really bad at naming podcasts. We didn't call it like The Bad Place podcast. We called it This is the Bad Place, which then makes it hard sometimes when I'm like... Yeah, this is the this is the bad place podcast. I don't know. <laughs> this is the bad place. That's all we need to know. Right. It feels like the bad place. Let me tell you. <laughs> Not this yeah. episode. Uh-huh. Uh huh. America. Uh huh. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because I'm doing a little fun fact early. Okay. Okay. So this episode is called "Someone Like Me as a Member," which is a very odd title, and we'll talk about that yeah i was wondering about that starts with ellipses uh-huh uh-huh well should i get into it do you know what yes. that's from no okay so that is from a quote from groucho Marx, which says i don't want to belong to any club that will accept me as a member oh which i thought you would probably think of me without you yes uh-huh. that's exactly what i was gonna say so yes. for those who aren't in the know me without you is like a christian hardcore band uh-huh that i love that i love too mm-hmm. um but the theme of today is going to be a little bit talking about moral scrupulosity and also some like self-image self-talk stuff so what is the line from a me without you song that i knew you would think of yeah he says i never want someone so crass as to want someone like me so you basically that's inside the mind of a traumatized person right mm-hmm. i like right. if somebody if you accepts love, me yeah right if you love me then there must be something wrong with you because there's something wrong with me exactly Lee. So Groucho Marx said it. Aaron Weiss from Me Without You said it. I'm sure. And um, Eleanor kind of is embodying that philosophy in this episode. But that's not really what I was going to say. The, really what I was going to talk about fun fact wise is about when this episode aired. Okay. So this episode aired November 3rd, 2016. Okay. And the 2016 presidential elections took place five days after this came out. Oh. And the weird thing is there was like a long gap between this episode and the next one. So the next episode didn't air until January 5th, 2017. So I'm just trying to be like placing this episode in like the context of what was going on in American politics and American culture. This is the last one that aired before Donald Trump was elected. And then the next episode doesn't air for several months. So, anywho, hmm, just yeah. putting that out there. I forgot about that. Cliffhanger, because they do yeah. cliffhanger so well in the show. Yeah. And then you just have like to Like a sit real and cliffhanger. Wait. And we were watching it in real time. Right. You know? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Sometimes I... Um, like, think about cliffhangers that our kids watch, but then they don't have to watch the cliffhanger. They didn't go through what we went through of yeah, waiting they don't like have a any year. trauma in their life, basically. Exactly. Right. Except hey. <laughs> when they saw the second Into the Spider-Verse, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, that was, I mean, they did have that experience and they had not had that experience previously. Yeah, they, you, because you took the kids to the theater to see it and they came home spitting mad. Because mm-hmm. that ends on an intense cliffhanger. <laughs> yes, right. And it just sneaks up on you and you're not expecting, if you don't yeah. know it's coming. And it's a it, fabulous movie, but definitely a cliffhanger. Yeah. So. Okay. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, let's uh, start with uh, Mark Evan Jackson summarizing this episode called Someone Like Me as a Member. Today we're talking about Chapter 9, Someone Like Me as a Member. In summary, Tahani helps Michael to be a tougher negotiator with the representatives of The Bad Place. Real Eleanor, Chidi, fake Eleanor, and Trevor go on a double date. Jason and Janet bond. In flashbacks, we see moments from Eleanor's life from high school to adulthood, where she avoided being part of a group, and how that adversely affected her life. Wow. Yes. Yeah, it ends abruptly, but that's because he's like, today the our guest is blah, blah, blah. So he didn't say the thing about Sean... Even though Sean is mentioned in this episode. Yeah, Sean is finally mentioned. Um, who, yeah. I, oh, I was really hoping he would appear in this episode because I forgot, but he didn't. Um, yeah, what else do you think he missed in that little thing? Um, I mean, I think the the overall kind of what is like, maybe he missed or maybe I didn't hear it, but this episode is all about sort of negotiating, like is is Eleanor going to go to the bad place or not? She hasn't left yet. And they're kind of like trying to figure out like, is she allowed to stay? How do we get her to stay? Yeah. Yeah. Also, I guess it's a good time to talk about, uh, oh, maybe it's not time for favorite parts because I'm like, <laughs> I, I have a lot of favorite parts that would flesh out what the episode is about, but that's okay. We can, we can go straight into watch rewatch. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, for you, watch rewatch. What do you remember first? Yeah, I think this was just the original watching. Right, it, you're just fascinated with the quote unquote real Eleanor, right? Mm-hmm. The ethical Eleanor, and seeing her and Chidi bond, and you're like, oh wow, that's really throws a a pickle into this whole thing. Um, so I think that's definitely what I focused on the first time around, mm-hmm. and then the second go around. You know, spoilers alert for people uh, who have not watched it. Um, The real Eleanor is actually a demon, right, this whole Mm -hmm. time. And so I think watching it with that level of awareness was really interesting to see how, like, this is set up to torture Eleanor, mostly, Mm-hmm. But also Chidi in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I was really sort of, I just felt sad a lot on the rewatch. There's a very mm. sad thing that happens. Can I tell you? Yes. Uh-huh. It's when Jason has this like really lovely moment with Janet, you know, because Janet is still having a hard time rebooting or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Janet asks Jason, what is a jalapeno popper? Uh-huh. And he's so excited because he gets to tell her and she's like, thank you. And then he hugs her and she was like, why? Why did you do that? He's like, because you're the only person here who's nice to me. And then he just kind of, and then she leaves and he just kind of sits there looking kind of sad. And I was like, oh my God, Jason's having a really hard time mm-hmm. in heaven. Nobody is nice to him. And these are all, again, ostensibly good people, Chidi mm-hmm. and Tahani. And mm-hmm. they are not nice to him and very dismissive of him. So that really stood out to me uh, on the rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things. You stole it. But oh, that's no. Okay. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I uh for me I I feel like I had the same experience watching it the second time as the first time, which is like what are the rules here? Like okay. they're trying to figure out like what are the rules of this universe and of the bad place. Of right, yeah. of the bad place, of the good place, like 
yeah, I mean, they talk about like, all right, well, what can we, you know, if we keep Eleanor, what can we give you in exchange? Like a unicorn that you can skin and grind its horn and snort yeah. it, you yeah. know? <laughs> like, yeah. So, but yeah, I think there's, you know, which is funny. It's very Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe in a way. <laughs> of like, it's dark. Right. It's true, though. Like, you know, Trevor is like the Wicked Witch and like, all right, like, you know, I lay like, claim... Witch. Yes. The or White wait, Witch. The White Witch. <laughs> the Wicked Witch of the East. Of the White. I'm mixing mixing <laughs> old stories. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's like Trevor's like, yeah, we lay claim to Eleanor. And they're like, okay, well, what can we trade? So I guess if they had a lion around that they could have strapped to a stone table, maybe it would this have gone great. differently. This is great. I, I do think that's a really interesting observation because... You know, the Christian story is like, yes, yeah, somebody has to come and sacrifice themselves for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is absent in this episode in particular. And instead, it's sort of focused on, like, how Eleanor is sort of conceptualizing all of this. And we'll, we'll get into what I think about all of that. But, like, I think for me, it is confusing. Like, understanding that there's multiple people in this who are bad faith actors, mm-hmm. right? I didn't have that awareness the first go around. Right. And so, yeah, you just get stuck on like, what are the rules? What's going on? This is kind of funny, but also like, ah, I feel anxious, you know? Mm-hmm. Now the second watch around, I'm like, mm, I see all, the, all this effectively just tortures humans, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's interesting too, like that dynamic of like what is good and what's bad, because in, in this story that they're telling that's fake, but still, uh, you know, real Eleanor saves fake Eleanor from death. And that is a good thing. Which, but then that means that fake Eleanor goes to hell and real Eleanor goes to heaven forever. So is that like yeah. really a good sacrificial thing if it's like I'm doing this to secure my eternal destiny? Anyway, we don't yeah. have to go down that rabbit trail. Wow, but... that just scratched my brain <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah. I can't think about that. But I do, I mean, I you know, it's been a while since I watched it. So even now I'm just like, I can't like... Even though I know it's all fake, there's still this, like, my brain is like, but what are the rules? Like, and then at the end, we find out Sean, who rules over everything, is going to come and make a ruling. And so um, that kind of answered my question. But most of the episode, I was just like, I can't remember where this goes. Sean, the demon judge, is coming. That's the threat hanging over everybody. Okay, well. uh, And one more thing. Okay. Which is, we need to mention the cliffhanger, because Mark Evan Jackson didn't, which is right at the end, Tahani finds out that Jianyu is not Jianyu, and Jianyu is Jason, because she's been finding junk food hidden throughout the house, (laughs) right? And... She saw that Janu could tap a keg. Right, yes. Uh-huh. He tapped a keg. And then she went into his meditation cave, which is actually just, as we've talked about before... Uh, his butthole. His butthole that is decorated uh, <laughs> with very, the combination of 12-year-old boy with 13-year-old boy. Right? Yeah, so that's a cliffhanger. Tahani understands, you know what I mean? And I feel upset for myself... Now, looking back on having this cliffhanger and then knowing that I had to wait until January to find out what was going to happen. Okay. I feel the retroactively the angry. Mm-hmm. I'm like, and we were different people by the time <laughs> the next episode I know, right? We had to go through. We had to go through. 
the Trump election. Uh-huh. Okay. So, favorite things? Okay. Well, I have a lot. First, we get our first brief glimpse of Bad Janet, mm-hmm. who is an icon <laughs> and is incredible. And I was so disappointed. She just popped up for like two seconds. Mm-hmm. That was really, really good. Okay. Um, I thought you would like this episode because there's definitely some childhood trauma stuff that comes mm-hmm. up. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, I like that element. Um, I don't know. I thought, it, I just thought the bad place people obviously make it very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I liked all of that. What about you? Yeah, I that was fun. Um, it was a little bit stressful to see all these dynamics. But my favorite things, one of my favorite things was, um, as we've talked about, uh, Eleanor's house is decorated with clown paintings. Uh-huh. A clown corner. Yes, clown corner mm-hmm. with all these clown paintings. And what's really funny is that they're like, oh, we decorated your room in the bad place with the exact same paintings. They're telling on themselves. Exactly. Aren't right. they? Yes. Aren't they? Okay, another favorite part is they were explaining what the torture would look like for Eleanor, you know, in the bad mm-hmm. place, which was like... You have to perpetually attend a baby shower that you're also organizing for somebody you don't really know and you get yelled at a bunch. I was like, that is literally my nightmare. Uh That is your nightmare. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. um, I, this was so cringy, but the bad place crew does karaoke, but they do karaoke to like terrible, like Mussolini speeches. I'm going to talk about that in the fun fact section. Uh And uh, the Nixon tapes. Yeah. There's a common denominator there. We'll talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I wondered how you felt because. They they do a little drive-by on jazz music. (laughs) Being terrible and boring, at least according to the real, I mean, the fake Eleanor. I did love that part because... Because hadn't you just said a few times ago you're into jazz? I was like, and now here we are. Eleanor talking about how bad jazz is. Right, yeah. She's like, we get it. You can blow a horn for 15 minutes, Elton John. (laughs) And she's like, Elton John, who is notably... Notoriously of... Piano, Piano player, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I guess my other favorite thing is when Trevor the demon says, "Like I swear to Bieber." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Yes, I mean, just seeing Adam Scott. At, you know, our context for him at this point was just Ben Wyatt in Parks and Rec for yeah. so many of us. So to see him play this demon is just always cracks me up. So good. Yeah. So should we move on to this is the bad place? Yes, I know that we usually talk about an ethical question and then we sort of talk about, you know, how it relates to our backgrounds and processing and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I think the ethical question ostensibly is like, what do you do when you're like thriving or your ability to live is like juxtapose against you're taking away that from somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a really awful ethical question. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a false one that is being set up here. Mm-hmm. And instead, I'm like, I don't know if there is an ethical question for this episode. And, and instead, I'm like, I think this episode is a really interesting 
look into what ethical OCD looks like mm. and how it impacts people. Mm. I mean, we can call it moral scrupulosity, um, but you know what I'm saying? I uh-huh. really saw this come out specifically in Eleanor, someone we wouldn't think of as having ethical mm. OCD. And like, who's the person you think of in the good place with right. ethical OCD? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is pretty, pretty clear. And yet, it's sort of spilling out into everybody, right? Every mm-hmm. All the four humans keep being put in these positions where they have to think through things. And so Eleanor is really having this quote-unquote ethical awakening, and yet it's extremely, extremely painful mm-hmm. and is causing her suffering. And I think we could even call it torture. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I, that's just kind of what stuck out for me. And I can talk more about that, but I wanted to hear your thoughts first. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that there is a, I think I, I came out with an ethical question that I think is related, which is this idea of groups in groups mm-hmm. and you only caring about people that are in your in group. Michael says, we're going to try to keep you in the good place because you're one of us. Which is weird because last episode he called Trevor. Right. Yes. On uh-huh. Eleanor. And so yes. now he's like, we want you here. I'm like, this doesn't make well, any sense. Well, we're not expecting consistency from a demon. I'm upset. But I really it. picked up on that idea of like, oh, like you are, you're in our in group. Therefore, we care about you. Yeah. Um, You're part of our team now. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think that fits because Eleanor has been like, I'm on no one's team. Yeah. And so I don't have to care about anyone. Yeah. And now she's starting to think about like, oh, like maybe the in-group is bigger than one person. And we see we there's a nod to her parents not being providing a good in-group or sense of belonging for her. We're starting to understand why that is. Um, but I think that kind of fits. And even, um, yeah, just like this idea of like, there's this ideology of like, if you are close to someone, if you have proximity to someone, if you get to know someone, especially from a marginalized group, then you're going to care about that marginalized group rather than like people just deserve human rights. Yeah. Yeah. I think that gets really interesting and really tricky because like Eleanor, you know, is this whole episode is supposedly about Eleanor realizing like I can be a part of a group and that's mm-hmm. changing me, right? When I'm a part of something, I'm connected to humanity. And yet who's the person telling her like you're part of our team? It's a demon who mm-hmm. wants to keep torturing her. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is really interesting, yes, right? Exactly. Like this in-group status will save me, but really it's just prolonging the mm-hmm. torture, right? And keeping her mind thinking about that instead of looking at the system as a whole. That doesn't mean that actual shit isn't being processed here because it seems like Eleanor is starting to really process her life. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really interesting how she even tries to bring that up when she's out to dinner with Trevor the demon and Chidi and, you know, the real Eleanor. And she kind of brings up like, yeah, both my parents were dirtbags. They got divorced. And, you know, that trauma could really impact a person. So that's kind of like why I was the way I was. Mm -hmm. Um. And so I'm like, oh, that's like actually a sign of growth, right? Mm -hmm. To be like, I think my childhood really impacted me. And, you know, this is a part of it. But then what happens? What happens then is the the real Eleanor who went to hell is like, oh, yeah. And like talks about her trauma. And it's like, 
uh, being an orphan, like living through like an orphanage burning down, just all this like severe trauma, right? And she's like, and look, I became this person that's like just amazing, yeah, right. And one thing is like it really points out to me, even though this is a fake setting, but one is, um, you know, trauma is about how it impacts you, not about the events. So that's important to recognize. Comparing trauma doesn't work very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other piece is um yeah there like we see this like Eleanor starting to reflect on her life and how she got here and mm-hmm. how it impacts how she relates to others which I think is important work and then we sort of have this like narrative of like but it wasn't that bad yep right so yeah and so you know I'm I think that part really stuck stuck out to me because I am somebody who has ethical OCD and you know I'm only just now starting to really be able to grasp how, how pervasive that's been in my life. And, you know, there's an ebb and flow to it, but it's, you know, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. And I really recognized that entire table scene as something that happens in my mind, like all the time. Mm. And I don't know how, if you've really seen this, Christmas, because, you know, that's our thing about some of these, um, you know, rumination based OCD things uh-huh. as they happen in your mind. Um, But I think one thing that kept me from thinking about myself as someone who'd experienced trauma uh, and thinking about my childhood, you know, thinking about how things impact me long term, even to this day, is I did. I I surrounded myself with people who had so much more trauma than me Mm -hmm. in my mind. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I've lived in low income housing, worked with refugees. Uh, I've just been sort of willingly willingly placing myself on the on the front lines of some pretty hard places in in American society and i i think a lot of that did serve for me to be like you have nothing to complain about mm-hmm. like you're not a refugee you know so uh-huh. like you have nothing to complain about and i would really like those kinds of thoughts happen to me all the time and mm-hmm. they still do if i'm like processing something and feeling really sad i immediately immediately have this thought of like, you're such a privileged person, you should not feel this, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is just a way my brain operates. Mm-hmm. And I think seeing it play out for Eleanor, I was like, ooh, this sucks. And this is, this is, it's just interesting, especially if the theme sort of for Eleanor in this episode is, is it, and I think Trevor basically spells this out after that table scene. He says, Basically, like, isn't it better to suffer and be punished for who you are rather than trying to fit in where you don't belong? And that is that and that might not be OCD. That might be even just like a CPTSD, Mm -hmm. right? Straight up. Shame, like chronic shame. If you think you are a trash bag, which is what Mm -hmm. Trevor calls Eleanor over and over again, and they call her fake Eleanor over Mm -hmm. and over again, including Michael. She even tells Michael, stop calling me that, you Mm -hmm. know. He said it's just easier. Exactly. And so there's parts of her that can fight up against that but i think when she's thinking about trauma she's like yeah i come from two dirtbags they you know Mm -hmm. i do i don't deserve to be in the good place but i want to try but yeah is it better to just accept my fate which is i'm a bad person Mm -hmm. rather than trying to fit in where i don't belong and to me like that's just the saddest and yet most accurate representation of people with complex childhood trauma Mm -hmm. trying to think about how to be in the world because the way life set us up 
with our Mm -hmm. caregivers, right? Is that we truly at our core think we are trash bags, right? Mm -hmm. And not deserving of any good thing, which makes uh, forming community connections really, really difficult. So anyway, that's a lot. That's heavy stuff. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, this is where I live um, talking about these Mm -hmm. things because... Um, yeah, if you grew up in a family where your emotional needs are not met, it creates this sense in yourself of like, there's something at my core that is disgusting that mm-hmm. drives other people away. There's mm-hmm. something, there must be something wrong with me. And it can be a very subconscious feeling. Even just like having needs is wrong. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like I was just thinking about one of the first places I read about this. There's this book on a, on attachment called Becoming Attached. And the chapter is called Ugly Needs, Ugly Me. Just this idea of like me having needs means there's something wrong with me. If you grew up in a family that shames you for having needs. um, It's interesting too, because in that chapter, they talk about that theme of like, oh, my parents are, are, you know, really bad. So I must be bad because I come from them and like that narrative as well. But um, yeah, it's really significant. And I think that this gets really complex because there is obviously privilege that exists in the world and Mm -hmm. hierarchies of privilege. Mm -hmm. Well, intersectionality is another good way of looking at it, right? There's multiple factors happening, right? Mm -hmm. For everybody. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that you have to compare or dismiss anyone else's experience for your experience to be valid. Right. right? So, but I think that's where, you know, I I don't think you're alone in that, you know, thinking of like, oh, like I, you know, this idea of I have a lot of privilege, therefore I haven't suffered, but you can suffer in the midst of privilege. And we also want to acknowledge like people, I want to acknowledge there are people that have less privilege and that is suffering and that needs to be a part of like the, you know, acknowledgement as well. So maybe I'm overstating it, but I see this come up over and over and over in different like sections and communities. So, um, yeah, but I, I think that like, that is interesting to think about Eleanor kind of asking this question, like, what's the right thing and where do I belong and how do I treat myself? I think is one of that, like, the scrupulosity is like, should I punish myself for being a dirtbag or can I expect more from myself? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. Eleanor is such an interesting character. I just thought, whoa, this is almost like cheaty stuff coming up in a different way. And that mm-hmm. is what OCD can do, right? It can morph mm-hmm. into what is most important to you, which can make it very confusing and all of that stuff. Um, but I just thought Eleanor has something in her that does fight back against these narratives. And I think mm-hmm. that's why she's such a compelling character, right? And right. in this rewatch, I am just like so locked in because both Tahani and Chidi are just stuck in their little worlds that have not been shaken enough yet right Right. Mm -hmm. and the sad thing is we know it's coming for them like i think chidi probably crumbles the most right because he's invested so much into this the rules working right Mm -hmm. and the the setup being correct and i just think if you are somebody who has obsessive compulsive thoughts specifically if it's of the scrupulosity or ethical kind there's such a relief to be like, I found a system and it works and I know what to do. And that's why I think people love religion. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, academics, like there's just lots of different, even therapists, right? Mm-hmm. I found the modality that works for exactly. people, right? And, right? and it's like, I think that's okay, but humanity and humankind and growing and evolving means like 
we can never just be static, right? We always have to be prepared for some new information to change us as humans. Right. But instead, we see a lot of people doubling down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mostly see this in religion, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, it has to be good for everybody because it's good for me personally. And it's just like, mm-hmm. okay. But like when people present you with other information, like how does that, how does that impact you? Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not saying all religions bad or anything, but we come from white evangelicalism. And so right. it is difficult to hear at this point in history that it's a, it's a net positive for the world. But I'm like, oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, they did some meta-analysis on the psychological impact of religion recently within this last year which means like they looked at all the studies on like you know does religion have a positive or a negative impact on people and they were like there is ample evidence that says both Uh, so i think that's Mm -hmm. worth mentioning like Mm -hmm. there are lots of studies that say it is positive there are lots of studies that say it's negative and there's no when you look at all the data together there's no consensus which I think is really important to recognize. Like, it to me that says like it has a potential to be positive. It also has a potential to be negative. Yeah. And that's not even getting into the impact on the world. That's just psychologically. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of religion, mm-hmm. can we talk about religious trauma? Okay. So <laughs> you might. <laughs> do I have to do it every time? No, you don't. You might have religious trauma if. I'm going to go first. You, like Michael, were in the good place, so you never had to learn how to deal with negative feelings. Because at some point, Michael's like, I'm stressed out, but I don't know how to deal with it because this is the good place and I never have negative feelings. Yeah. Which, you know, makes you think of growing up in the church where it's like, everything's okay. Everything's fine. If you have a negative feeling, just pray and you'll feel better. And then you don't actually learn emotional regulation or coping skills. Yep. I love it. Okay. Mine is you might have religious trauma if <laughs> I don't know how to say this in like a succinct way. It's okay. You we don't need to be succinct. Out by both Eleanor and Michael's boundary setting in this episode. Okay, because I think high control religion in particular teaches you not to set boundaries, mm-hmm. right, with people in authority or with. Uh, people who are godly or within the hierarchy. And so this episode had some really interesting looks into boundaries like Eleanor when she was in high school, right? Just Mm -hmm. basically telling everyone, no, like I'm not going to be a part of your group. This is my firm boundary. Then we see Michael really stressed out because all the demons from the bad place keep being horribly mean bullies to him and he just acquiesces. And the more he acquiesces and tries to smooth things over and be kind and all that, the worse they get. And Tani's mm-hmm. like, you have to speak up to them. And he's like, no, I'll just keep being really nice and soon they'll see reason, right? Yeah. And she's like, no. Uh-huh. And so I'm like, whoa, I was not, I, I was a lot more like Michael, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was taught that people like Eleanor are really bad. And now I'm like, oh, we've all got to find that part of ourselves that stands up to bullies, Mm -hmm. you know? But my religious upbringing did not train me to do that. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even there's this within a lot of like, within some religious ideology, I've been thinking about this a lot about like, oh, the bullies are, you know, just yet to be redeemed. So if you, if you acquiesce to them, right. And give them everything they want, mm -hmm, then things will get better. And I don't think that's true. DL's fun facts. Oh, time for fun facts. 
Yes. Okay, I don't know if this is a fun fact or not. But, like, the beginning of this episode really confused me. It's, like, butterflies and this beautiful, you know, part of the good place. And it's, like, I see trees blue uh-huh. or whatever that song yeah, yeah. is. Okay. And then all of a sudden we're back into Eleanor's face, you know, and they're all discussing whether or not she should stay or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I saw some like summary that Eleanor is dreaming of her happy place and then is sort of like brought back to reality. So like Eleanor is literally dissociating at the mm, beginning, mm-hmm. trying to think of her happy place, which is the good place, which is a place of peace and calm and belonging where she actually can be at peace, which is so sad. Like, mm-hmm. isn't that so sad mm-hmm. that she's like dissociating and thinking about that while everybody's arguing about how, you know. She deserves to go to eternal conscious torment. So that just really got my heartstrings. Not sure that's a fun fact or not, but um, <laughs> it is in there. Okay, another fun fact. Uh, the real Eleanor talks about how much she loves the house with the clown corner, and she says, I love Icelandic primitive design. Mm-hmm. Okay, Christian, true or false? Is that a real design? Aesthetic. I would say yes, based on what I know about the writers of the show. Icelandic primitive design <laughs> is not real. <laughs> okay. I always wonder. I'm like, it sounds like the good place writers I to know. dig something up I know. like that. But I know. Okay. Another- also, I'm just someone that's really bad if knowing something's a joke or real or not. Well, so. it's a great joke. Uh-huh. Even if it was yes. real, that'd be hilarious. Yes. But it's not. Um Okay, the, one of the karaoke songs, before we get to the speeches, mm-hmm. is Who Let the Dogs Out? <laughs> now, I don't know if this is an urban legend or not, but I was told that that song is about ugly women. Oh. And uh, so I just think it's wild that we were all singing that mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's not. There's other people on the internet that say, no, it's about women who are a cat called and they respond by calling the men dogs. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it could be either one of those. Okay. I think we know how the bad place people were singing. Exactly. It. Now, let's get into the karaoke speeches. Okay. You know my ears perked up when they mm-hmm. talked about Mussolini. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we go, people. Mike Shore is anti-fascist, which I believe in my heart of hearts. So here's like... The demons, the three speeches they talk about, you know, doing karaoke. One is a Mussolini speech, which, of course, would be horrifically anti-Semitic. Then we have the Mel Gibson rant, which is horrifically Mm anti-Semitic. Then the Nixon tapes, which starts off, he talks about Irish people. And I was like, but didn't he also? Oh, and then there Uh we go. Now he's talking about Jewish people. And so that was sort of the theme of just like anti-Semitism and how... You know, I don't know. It's a hallmark of the bad place. I guess so. I uh-huh. was like, wow, that was intense. Mm-hmm. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. I mean, part of me wondered, like, with when they just played, when they started out to, uh, with Nixon talking about Irish people, I was like, yeah, are they not going to play the part where he talks about Jewish me people? Too. That's because exactly what I wondered. Because I was like, because it is like, it is, it is really upsetting. It is so upsetting. And so and I, there's, just I mean, like, obviously, there's so much he didn't put in there. Right mm-hmm. now, this is maybe a part we ta- we should mention mm-hmm. <sighs> that if you think what Nixon said in that little clip 
about Jewish people is bad, then you have a due diligence to look up and see what him and Billy Graham talked about mm-hmm. when it comes to Jewish people. And it is horrific, horrifically anti-Semitic. And I just feel like it just continues to prove our point that white evangelicalism, Billy Graham baby, is from the bad place. Mm-hmm. And there's just no getting around that. I know. And every time you mention Billy Graham, I don't even remember what he looks like anymore. I just picture him as Michael. Because... <laughs> Because it fits. Oh, oh, that's like a horrible image for me. Yeah. Because I grow to love Michael. Yeah. And I'm growing true. to hate Billy Graham more and more with each <laughs> passing year. Right. It's true. Yeah. Everything I learn is like, oh my mm-hmm. freaking God, this mm-hmm. is bad stuff. This is the bad place. That being said, like, I think I think I put an article in, in our episode a while back about the okay. Billy Graham because... I mean, you can Google about the Billy Graham tapes. It is the first 10 search results are Christians being like, here's why it's not that bad. Exactly. It is like extra layer of like upsetness. Extra layer of white evangelicals being the bad place Mm -hmm. is I want to see it all crumble because I feel when things are built on the genocidal (laughs) dreams of eradicating entire groups of people Mm -hmm. to fulfill your God's plan, I'm like. Oh, no. Billy Graham is not tarnished enough, in my viewpoint. Yeah. We have a listener question. Oh. Hi, Corey here. I am cool with any pronouns. I have a question about attachment styles and the good place. I recently took a quiz which says mine is fearful avoidant, which I'm putting down to religious trauma. I'm not sure how or where to start with wrapping my head around this, but I love the good place and all of its characters. So my question is, do any of them seem to have this attachment style or what attachment styles do we see from the main characters? I think that would help. Um, hoping you haven't already answered this somewhere and I missed it. Uh, and yeah, just wanted to say thanks for all you're doing. You chose a question that I am uniquely unprepared to answer. <laughs> but luckily, everyone, we have an expert in attachments. Hey, we've been talking about this all episode, which I didn't even really plan. But um, Yeah, so, I was like, this does tie nicely in. Yes, fearful attachment style is this um, idea of like, I want love, I want connection, I want closeness. And also something in me says like, you don't deserve it. You're disgusting. Well, 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 who's that? That, (laughs) which, okay. So Eleanor, right? Yes. And, uh, on the surface, Eleanor or the way that she was previously functioning actually was more avoidant. Yes. Yes. And then she is starting to get in touch with like, Actually, this is what's driving this is like this, you know, I've gotten this message that there's something wrong with you. Um, and yeah, and, and I think it totally fits with uh, religious trauma. I, I appreciate Corey mentioning that because that's the message that you're given um, in evangelicalism is like, you don't deserve love. There's something, you know, I think I've talked uh, extensively about this in other places, so I will not go on and on. But I often think about um, being in Sunday school, you know, if you grew up evangelical, one of the things that uh, you do is you will, is that some people do, is like have a picture of a kid and then a drawing of a heart. And then in the heart, you like draw black, which mm-hmm. 
um, is supposed to signify sin and how disgusting you are, which also perpetuates white supremacy. Um, I want to mention that, but, um, but yeah, just this, like, this is the starting point for evangelicals teaching children is like, there's something at your core that makes you unlovable and God doesn't want to be around you. Um, if you really want to be loved, then you need to fundamentally change who you are, which goes back to the thing that Trevor says, right? Like, would you rather spend your whole life trying to be someone different or would you like to just accept who you are, your dirtbag? Yeah. And so you're saying that is fearful? Uh Uh-huh. Fearful. So I think that's interesting. Uh, what else do you think about attachment styles? Yeah, so um, I think Jianyu, Jason, seems fairly secure. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I like other people. Other people like me, I'm deserving of love. Like, even him Not noticing. Really. He says nobody was nice to him. Yes, but he's open to love from other yeah. people. He's not like Eleanor, where he, where Eleanor is like, no, I don't even want to be around yeah. you. Jason is looking looking for love. Jason is looking for friends. Um, Tahani, I think also, um, has a fearful avoidant, um, because she does want connection and she wants love. She, she tends more anxious, um, in terms of like really trying to like, you know, make sure that things are okay. Um, but I think there is still this like push and pull that she has, you know, especially being shamed in childhood. Um, because with, yeah, she, she's like a quiet, anxious attachment style, um, When we think about, like, kind of, I mean, everybody defies categories, but a lot of uh, anxious attachments, I will sort of blame the other person. Like, I deserve love. Why aren't you loving me? Hani is more like, I'm going to try to get you to love me. I'm anxious about that, but I'm going to be sort of like quiet and fawn, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then Chidi, I think, is more avoidant because he really lives in his head, not in his relationships. And Mm -hmm. he's trying to, you know, deal with that shame of feeling bad through problem solving. Yeah. Rather than like reaching out to others for support. That's interesting. I think it's interesting how childhood trauma, religious trauma and OCD can all lead to avoidant behaviors, mm-hmm. right? But they can also sometimes propel anxious mm-hmm. attachment. So great. Just one more thing to be aware of <laughs> how our childhoods impact us. Love it. Love it so much, right. Crispin. Yeah. I hadn't thought about attachment for a minute, to be honest. Yeah, I, my head good. has been in, in other places, but I wrote a whole book on it. If you don't know, uh-huh. um, yeah, anyway. plug, plug that book. Do it. <laughs> I I like. The, I mean, I I especially like the first half of the book that I wrote that talks about how your religious upbringing can drive these different attachment styles. Mm-hmm. I think it's important mm-hmm. stuff for people to you know be able to recognize like, oh yeah, if I feel like I'm unlovable, like that's because I grew up in a religious upbringing where I was told that from at a young age. Yep. Who knew that would impact us so much, right? Yep. Uh, Okay. Well, thank you so much, Corey, for calling and leaving us a question. Um, Feel free, everyone listening, to do the same. We love to get listener questions. If you have more questions about ethical OCD, that's something I've been researching a bit. And maybe we'll talk about it even more in the next episode because the next episode is called Chidi's Choice. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Let's finish with This is a Good Place. So what's something positive going on right now? I don't know. Do you have anything? I do. Okay. I was having a rough week 
and uh, last week, and DL brought me flowers at work and candy. Mm-hmm. It was very sweet, mm-hmm. and I felt very supported. And that was the first time that somebody ever gave you flowers. Yes. Then it made me feel kind of bad, but <laughs> I'm not the type. I hate getting flowers, really, you know? Um, and so I didn't think about it until mm-hmm. you're out of I mean, happy. there is that gender thing. Like, you know, people usually don't. What assume. is gender? <laughs> I'm just channeling our 13-year-old right now. What is gender? <laughs> what is gender? I'm going to steal your gender. Okay. Another thing that they say. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Um, okay, what's good is I have one that's just so basic B, but I'm going to say it, which is animals. <laughs> I'm on that phase of of healing from CPTSD where I am not sure I want to be a part of anyone's team, um, but animals are safe and animals love me even when I feel very unlovable. And Mm. so I think today I'm so happy for my little dog, Fern, and our cat, Rue, who, again, almost died this week. We had to spend a bunch of money, but we did it. Rue's still here and kicking. Um, So, yes, (laughs) animals are what's good. Yeah, great. Well, yeah, we're going to wrap up here. Um, I'm so glad that we don't have to wait a few months for the cliffhanger. Um, to find out mm-hmm. what's going to happen after Tahani found Jason's butthole. Yep. Just quite a way to end this episode. Um, but again, want to reiterate, please send us your listener questions. Also, um, over on our Patreon, we are talking about family dynamics and like, especially heading into the holiday season when you have family members that see things really differently than you do, or you're recognizing like, hey, like my relationship with my parents is is fairly dysfunctional or I don't know what I think about it. Um, We are talking about all those things on our Patreon, sort of in the context of um, the parenting books that a lot of our parents read growing up and like kind of how it set those tones. So um, we'd love for you to join and listen to that. We'd also love listener questions for that part, um, but just wanted to cue y'all in that we are talking about family stuff right before the holidays fun 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 mm-hmm. come join us though yeah we're having, a good, we're having a pretty good time yes a pretty good time i mean <laughs> i don't want to say a great time because i want to make light of the situation but it's nice to find other people thanks y'all for listening and we'll be back in a couple of weeks take a sleazy this has been an episode of this is the bad place a special season of the prophetic imagination station podcast You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram by searching Prophetic Imagination Station Podcast. You can find us on the web at propheticimaginationstation.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-912-4130 or record a voice memo and send it to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Join our Patreon community to hear two extra episodes a month and join our Facebook group to discuss episodes and more. And we hope you'll join us next time in the bad place. <laughs>